Carla Renata, the curvy film critic, is my guest today here on Rolanda On Demand to talk about the Christmas movies that are out, the new releases during this holiday time, and why there's so many black people on TV these days. What's going on? She's also going to tell us how Tinseltown has been affected by COVID and also how COVID and Black Lives Matter have affected Hollywood and the types of movies that we're seeing today. All that and more today on Rolanda On Demand. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians, Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist, Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. Road time. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. I love my podcast because we not only tackle the tough issues of the day, but we deal with hot topics, celebrity interviews, and information that can help you in your business or relationships. This is Rolanda On Demand. You have probably seen Carla Renata when she's not critiquing films. She is an actress herself on a show called Superstore on NBC, going into its sixth season. But she's also known for starring in some of the biggest shows on Broadway. She's also an HBCU grad, Howard University. And she was born in North Carolina, even though she grew up in St. Louis. But she's out here now in Hollywood, pouring the tea on Hollywood and some of the best movies that are out this year. So let's talk with her. Well, Carla, I'm so excited to have you on Rolanda On Demand. I mean, this is the time where you are like a Santa's elf bringing us good news. We're all stuck at home. We're stuck with our families. We're looking for escape. And, you know, there's no better time than the holiday time to get into movies. But let me ask you this. How has this whole COVID pandemic, we're in home, home at home being safe. How has this changed the whole movie thing? I mean, the movie experience, the movie uh, releases. I mean, what changes, major changes are you seeing because of COVID? The major changes because of COVID are the fact that, A, we can't really go to a movie theater, especially here in Southern California, because the movie theaters are closed. And we're seeing big chains, chains, excuse me, like uh, AMC, um, close to the brink of shuttering and closing down for good because they're not able to make money. And then we saw a major deal breakdown in the last couple of weeks between Warner Brothers and AMC and HBO and Warner Brothers took all their content over to HBO and it's just people like ah but um the biggest change is movie theaters are closed COVID is happening and we can't go out to the movie so a lot of people are streaming at home and some titles have been streamed and they've put a hefty price tag on the movies. Like when Disney released Mulan, 
if you didn't already have Disney Plus, they were charging people $30 if they wanted to see it um, and not have a Disney Plus membership. But that doesn't make sense. So you might as well just go ahead and buy Disney Plus. Anybody with any sense probably just went ahead and joined Disney Plus. But when you get Disney Plus, you get all these other stations too. You get, I think you get Hulu, National Geographic, ESPN, and all of the Disney Vault movies. So there's that. And the other thing that shifted is that some of the studios realized, okay, this isn't gonna go away anytime soon. So maybe we should do a drive-in situation. In the middle of the summer, people started sending invites to go to drive-ins. They Which was kind of cool, if you ask It was kind of cool. It was, yeah. people were doing drive-in premieres, they were doing drive-in screenings. And instead of clapping, you know, if you were in the theater, if there was a moment or somebody says something during a post Q&A, you could clap and applaud. Instead of that, people were blowing their horns, which was kind of cool. Yeah, well, was, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do black folks look at a movie at the drive-in? Because, you know, we scream at the, at the, at well, the screen. Well, you know, they were honking the horn all through the thing. They were honking their horns. You know, if there was a moment that they were li living for, they would just honk their horns. <laughs> because one of the first ones I went to was a drive-in experience that was sponsored by Michael B. Jordan's company. Oh. And what he did was he did it was called a night at the movies and he did it would do a, he would do a double header and I think he did maybe four or five of them and it was um, in tandem with himself, his company and Amazon uh, Prime Studios. And so you would just go you would go to the theater, which was in the city of industry, you would go to that drive in theater. You check in, they give you a box of food and you're in your car the whole time. And if you did have to go to the restroom, they would clean that restroom. Like every 10 people that came out, those girls were in there cleaning that restroom. Like it was really, really safe. And I went about two or maybe three or four times, I guess, you know, and took my mom two of those times. So it was really safe. And it brought back nostalgia really, because I used to go to drive-ins when I was a kid. So, <laughs> You know, and it was fun. Like you're in your car, you're in your car. You can have a blanket. You can pull that seat back. The only thing I didn't like about the drive-in experience per se was the fact that you kind of had to keep your car on because you could only hear the audio of the film through your radio. Oh, see, back in the day, and I got a couple of years on you. Right. And back in the, the day, they bring the speaker and put <laughs> right. it in there. In your right. They oh. had the speakers, but they didn't have the speakers. They didn't have the speakers there. So you had to listen to your car radio, which means you are draining your battery, battery. for about three hours. So I was like, oh, man, that's the it's, only thing I did. Look, like that movie's costing you a lot more than that ticket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe there was a way that I'm not aware of that there was some radio app that I could have streamed it through my phone and, you know, turned my car off. But that those are the biggest differences that people are streaming. They can't go to the theaters and people will go into the drive-in. Now we're reaching that second phase where it's wintertime here, but it's still Southern California. But it's wintertime, everybody. <laughs> exactly. Everywhere. So they can't be going to no drive-in in the middle of a snowstorm, you know. <laughs> That so thank option. goodness for streaming. You know, I remember my first drive-in movie. I went with my dad. I think I was two. And we went to a double feature at the Flamingo Drive-In. I remember this. It was called A, Fit, a Fistful of Dollars and a Dollar More. I went to a double oh, feature. Oh, no, not a fistful of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long not ago we're going. Fistful of dollars. Oh, no. Fistful of dollars. So you're thinking about bringing back the, the drive-ins it's just crazy but that's kind of what COVID is doing it's making us recreate all new kinds of ways of doing everything that we still love to do no matter what and we know that movies oh honey that's not no Americans going to stop seeing movies that's our greatest natural resource very it's very interesting times and I, I I've said to people numerous times during the course of the pandemic you know if there was ever a time for you to get something off and popping, it's right, right now. now. Because folk are begging for content for the longest time. The studios was the the television studios were scrambling. They didn't know programming wise what they were going to do because the That's Olympics right. were supposed to happen for NBC, and then with the pandemic, they had to shut that down. And they had weeks and hours and days that were going to be filled with that content. And they were scrambling, trying to figure out what they were gonna fill that content with. And then the right. other thing that is really horrible about right now is that not every set, not every network, 
not every movie studio are taking the precautions that they need to take when they're shooting. Ugh. So that's why you're hearing about all Tom Cruise cussing people out. <laughs> Look, I ain't mad at him. I'm not mad at him, him at all. I'd have done the exact same thing. I would have cussed thing. him out too. People like, oh, he overreacted. No, he didn't. Mm -hmm. No, he didn't. That's his no, he didn't. I just had somebody close to me die from AIDS. I had a family, not AIDS, COVID. COVID. Mm -hmm. I was like... <sighs> You know, yeah, I would have cussed him out too. That's I would have cussed him okay. out. I I would have cussed him out the same with, with the f word and everything. That's not I okay. Sure it's I not. Sure but would've. people are people are being very. It, when it started out, folk were like overly diligent about it, mm -hmm. and then like anything, you know, people kind of start slipping. They start letting their slip show a little bit. They start, mm -hmm. you know, forgetting they got to put on a mask, forgetting about the face shield, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, not washing their hands, not using the sanitizer. And thus you end up with, you know, shows. All it takes is one person on that set. Look, there's one show that had four people that contracted COVID and they had to shut down. Mm. There's yeah. another show that had, and you won't see it in the news because they're not they're not going to publicize it. Right, there two and shows you, and, in particular. And I have never heard of. Uh, I know in some of the talk show arenas, the crew, the Nabit crews, were like, "We're not taking this." And I've never heard the Nabit crew turn against a talk show, but they were standing up, being very firm about um, their concerns about the health. So it will be interesting to see how all kinds of productions, from comedians to talk shows to films to sitcoms dramas all of us are affected in some way but I you're was, right I I said, nice. i'm sorry go on go ahead i was good to see your friend tamron pivot because i was like oh she just won that emmy and then covid happened i was like oh yeah. shit yeah I but she's doing well i mean you know you do you make it listen if you make a makeshift set to work for the situation she's got one of the best ones around you know, because the main thing is just getting the information out. She's brilliant enough to do that. But it is it has caused changes all across the board. I said Netflix ought to be called Nextflix because after this series ends, it's like next. What else we got? What else we got? So, yeah, a lot of us like my book, I'm trying to turn into a hopefully a Netflix series. Um, but, yeah, now's the time to tell your story. Now's your time to get out there. It's it's just a, a different, different world. But, hey. Here we are, and we're going into a whole new year. What are your dreams for the new year? Oh, what are my dreams for the new year? I just want to be healthy. I know. I just want to be, I mean, anything else at this point seems so unimportant. I really? just want to be healthy. I just want my mom to be healthy. I want. Mm -hmm. I just want my family to be healthy and safe. That's it. That's you know, especially being here in Southern California where the numbers are crazy, ridiculous. And you walk out, you walk out, of, I walk out the house and it's like, there is no pandemic happening. I, like, I, I know, you know, but there are people dying and listen, and we're not going to be two of them. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm really not trying to have that be my legacy. Not trying to be, not trying to go out like that. Mm -hmm. Not trying to go. So now here we are. It's holiday time. We're looking for great movies. You are the critic and I, and a, and a real film critic, not just somebody getting on here, just running their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it, listen, you know, the internet is full of people with an opinion. This woman is a trained professional. She's in the critic society. Okay. I'm letting you know. Um, but, but, but what are some really good movies? And I, and I'm really excited about the streaming thing. I think everything's changing a bit. Um, I know for artists, for actors and writers and creators, it's given a whole new avenue for creativity. And I think that's something, yeah. that's something our audience is really enjoying. I think when I put my audience hat on, I'm really digging the stuff that's streaming. I haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah. Um, so there's some good stuff coming out. Um, you know, you were so good in teaching me that there is a difference between Christmas movies and movies that come out at Christmas. <laughs> but to us sitting at home on the couch, scratching our bellies, we love them all. <laughs> so can you just give us some of the highlights of some of the best movies? And Carla, you know, everybody in the business. If there's some good tea that you can pour on some of these movies, some of the behind the scenes scoop, Please give us that too. <laughs> well, um, the first movie I'd like to mention only because it's coming out in about four days Ooh. is Soul. It's a Disney Pixar joint and it is directed by Pete Doctor in tandem with Kemp Powers, who 
also coincidentally is the screenwriter for One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King, which drops um, after the beginning of 2021. But wow. Kim Powers, I think is this is probably the first time that they brought an African-American onto a Pixar film and made the protagonist of the film an African-American character. When you see Pixar films, they're usually completely animated and the voices are usually all white people doing the voices. The only, there's only a few white voice, white voices. There's only a few white people doing voices in Seoul, one of them being Tina Fey, but everybody else is African-American. You got Quest Love doing a voice. Wow. Jamie Foxx is the lead protagonist. He plays Joe, <laughs> a uh, a uh, burgeoning jazz musician who gets caught teaching school. So he kind of lets his dreams go by the wayside. And then he finds out that he has this opportunity to play in a real jazz band and he falls through a manhole and then everything kind of shifts and changes. And it becomes like an animated, it's a wonderful life coupled with um, Inside Out, one of Disney Pixar's other hit films, mm. coupled with this whole African-American experience that is colored in jazz. They reached out to some jazz musicians, qualified uh, Grammy award-winning jazz musicians like uh, Trent and uh, Atticus and Baptiste. They reached out to them to have them work with them on the fingering on the piano whenever Joe was oh. playing the piano so that it was so that it didn't look fake because jazz musicians are hardcore musicians and they're serious about their art. If they go see that movie and stuff is looking crazy, they're going to call Disney out. They're not going to have these are, but Jazz is like classic. I mean, yes. classical music. You they're can't. not going to have any shame about calling folk out. So they'll be like, yeah, no, that's not how this is supposed to go. Now, so, wait, as a voice actor, I understand looping and dubbing and matching like that. But now you got to match the fingers with the animation with the music. Because, because they had, because Joe is a jazz musician and he's a pianist. Mm. So there's a couple of different sequences where we see him playing the piano and they do a like a over if it, for lack of a better way to say it, they would do an over the shoulder shot for you to see his fingers on the piano. And wow. we're not trying to see that if it ain't correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? We Look, don't want to see him doing this all over the, the place cat on the piano. You know what I mean? All right. Get it right. Get yeah, it. Right. I mean, if you're going to do it, get it right. And they got the coloring of the black people. Right. Usually when I see. Black people in animation, we're either really, really light or really, really black. There's right. no in between. Right. They got the coloring right. They got the facial features right. And a lot of times, especially with Disney Pixar projects, they try very hard to do, not try very hard, but they do an excellent job with their research. They mm -hmm. go and they research every single aspect of the film that they can possibly get. Jonathan <laughs> Baptiste, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross were the composers for Soul. Both. Wow, I can't wait to see that. And you know Jamie Foxx. I, listen, I, that man, he, he can do anything. And I can't <laughs> wait to see him bringing, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Ray Charles stuff that he did. So to bring the music with the character and the life story. Yeah, the part, the part with the jazz is the part with the jazz and the focus on the African-American characters was my favorite part of the, um, the experience. But um, yeah, so it drops specifically on Christmas Day. So for people that are really excited to see it, that might be up cooking Christmas Day dinner or whatever, it will drop at midnight, 12.01 a.m. on Christmas Day. Woo! Now, so, so Santa and Jamie Foxx gonna come to your house. Santa and Jamie Foxx are coming to your house. And then speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of jazz, then on the other end of the spectrum over at Netflix, we have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which mm -hmm. stars Viola Davis, Glenn Turman, um, Coleman Domingo, uh, Kevin Potts, and Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick, so a lot of people yeah. know by now that Chadwick Boseman lost his battle to colon cancer earlier this year and that this particular film was his last on-screen performance. Mm. When I tell you Chadwick Boseman is bringing it with the thunder, I feel Ooh. like every film that we saw him do, and he did great films, every last one of them were good up until this point, prepared him for this performance right here. 
Wow. Everything that he did up until this point is culminated in this one performance. And he's going to win best. Act- he's going to win best actor. Possibly. For Oscar? Oh, yeah. Definitely. You think so? Oh, I know so. You, you know, I re- I watched it and I really wanted more of a film flavor. It's like, it's more like a play. But well, that's what it is. Deni- but I know that is what it is. Mm-hmm. But you cannot deny the the superb acting. I mean, they bring it on. Just mm-hmm. bring it. I think sometimes I wanted to know more, a little bit more about Ma Rainey, but that's my business. That's not all, all, all you know. The, yeah. So I'll <laughs> speak to that for a second. So yeah. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is one of a series of 10 plays that August Wilson wrote during his time. And all of his plays, for the most part, took place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he's from. None of August Wilson's plays specifically focus on women in none of his plays, none of them. But what he, and he writes these really long monologues, like pages and pages (laughs) of dialogue. And so what he does though, what August Wilson was really excellent at is he would get a a cast of people that were all really strong actors, Mm -hmm. regardless of what their gender was. They were all really strong actors. And he'd always have only one or two female actors in the play. But when they talked, they had these long, ginormous monologues and either they could hang or they couldn't. Mm. So the only time you ever really hear Ma Rainey say anything in this play slash musical slash (laughs) adaptation Adaptation. to the screen is when she does this long monologue about them going to get her this Coca-Cola. (laughs) <laughs> she talks, she goes on and on about how she needed Coca-Cola for her to, to do her session. Now, what mo- most folks may not know is that during that time, Coca-Cola literally had Coke in it. Coke in it. Cocaine in it. That's yeah. right. It literally had Coke in it. So that's why Miss Thing was like, I need my Coca-Cola. And <laughs> she needed a little, a little boost me up because she knew she was about to do a recording session and she needed to, you know, fly a little bit. So she was like, <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to need y'all to get my Coca-Cola. Or I'm not singing nothing. So that's why it doesn't focus that much on Ma Rainey. It focuses more on the session. It mm. focuses more on these guys that have come together for this session. Ma Rainey is almost like a secondary character, so to speak. But Ma Rainey it, it was a real live breathing person. And she was a businesswoman. She was a successful recording artist, a blues singer during a time in America where we were not allowed to be that. Mm-hmm. But she was mm-hmm. and she had money and she had a lot of it. She was like. Um, my, uh, not my uh, what's her name, the, the hair woman. Ooh. Oh, Madam, Madam C.J. Walker. Walker. She was like Madam C.J. Walker. She was like know the blues. a lot about Ma Rainey. I just yeah, she she it. was like the blues version of Madam C.J. Walker. She was wow. uh, she was almost she was a millionaire. She was a millionaire and she had a lot of money. She paid for those sessions. So she ran those sessions. If she said she wasn't going to do more than an hour, she wasn't going to do more than an hour because she was handing white people to do that. And they were like, you know, they took that money. But that's who she is. And a lot of people didn't know about Ma Rainey, which is why August Wilson used her as the impetus for the play Mm -hmm. and the the adaptation, which is misleading because you go into it thinking it's going to be a story about Ma Rainey. And it's literally a story about this recording session that revolves around Ma Rainey. But I love how you bring out what August Wilson's whole legacy is about and you're right i mean you don't see a lot of of females main leads in his plays but his plays speak to the human spirit in such a way and i just um yeah it it was nice to see his work i will say that yeah his plays showed the black american experience nobody Mm -hmm. else was showing that on stage the only other person playwright wise who did that and showed our experience on stage was lorraine hansberry and Mm -hmm. susan laurie parks you know, the raisin in the sun, Mm -hmm. right. You can name, you can name the amount of black playwrights on one hand, but you know, everybody knows Eugene O'Neill. Everybody knows uh, Terrence McNally. Everybody knows Mark Twain and all these other different American authors that we have here in the United States, but nobody, nobody knows August Wilson. I I just want to say this real quick. There's a program here in Los Angeles that I judge called the spotlight awards Mm -hmm. and every, and I judge in the category of acting and every year young kids come through and they always do 
a bunch of August Wilson monologues because about around the same time we would do the auditions for Spotlight, they would be having auditions for the August Wilson monologue competition, which is a, a national competition that they do all around the country. And then they bring, I think they bring like 80 finalists. I want to say my numbers might be off, but they bring about 80 kids to New York City and have them perform their monologue on stage on Broadway in the August Wilson Theater, which used to be the Virginia Theater, the old Virginia Theater. Mm -hmm. I think it's on like 52nd Street between Broadway and 8th. But um, they would come in and they would do these monologues. And I remember one year in particular, a girl got up and I think she did a monologue from, she did a monologue either from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or from Jitney or something. And my fellow judges didn't, they, A, they didn't know the piece. B, they barely knew August Wilson. And I was so annoyed by that, which Mm. is why I said what I said leading into that, that particular statement that as black people in this country, we're expected to know all those other playwrights and from William Shakespeare on, <laughs> right? We're we're expected to know, but they're not necessarily, you know, expected to know us. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make that point. So if somebody is not familiar with August Wilson and they're not familiar with Ma Rainey, and they're not familiar with Will, August Wilson's legacy, watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Fences, which came out a year ago with Viola Davis Mm -hmm. and Denzel Washington, which culminated in Viola winning um, an Oscar for her performance in that, this is a good way to get to know his work. And you're right, every time they film the August Wilson pieces, it looks like it's on stage because most of his pieces, they always take place in one room. The -hmm. piano lesson takes place in a living room. Jitney takes place at a cab stand. My Rainey's Black Bottom takes place in a recording studio. Fences <laughs> takes place in the, either in the backyard of that house or in the living room of that house, mostly in the backyard of the house where they all lived. So to not to distract from the story that's being told by doing a bunch of set changes. Wow. He kept it very simple so that your focus was on what was being said and who was saying it. What a master he was to create Oscar winning pieces. You know, the rest is up to the actor. You I know, wish he, he were alive. I wish he were alive to see it. He would he would yeah. he would love this. You know, I'm really and you and I have have come through this business. You know, we remember the time when you might try to pitch a, a, a film and it had a black lead and people would basically laugh you out the room. No black lead is going to sell a film and black folks don't sell overseas. Oh yeah. Black everything is, that. I mean, I tell you that that's proven to be bullshit. Excuse my French, but well, just, it always was. Bullshit. It always was. But yeah. when black Panther came out, they couldn't say when black mm-hmm. Panther and um, uh, the wedding movie uh, best, not best is the best man. Best man. Yeah. I think it's best mm-hmm. man. Yeah, the best man. Uh-huh. When when those two films came out, they couldn't say, "Oh, well, black films don't sell overseas" because it's not true. But and I have been have told shenanigans. that in a room. I have been told that to my face in a room. But that no black lead was going to lo- lead, and no black lead was going to make any money overseas. People overseas love us, yeah, and I didn't do. believe that when I heard it. And yeah, now, yeah. But they have shenanigans because just recently, I forget what movie it was. There was a black actor that's in a film and when they did the poster for it he was he literally was one of the top stars of the film but when they did the poster for it they put him way in the back and put the white people up in the front and I'm just like but he's the star of the movie movie? so okay it's the same thing that used to happen in the recording industry when a black act would make a record and they didn't want people to know that the act was black. So they would put white people on the cover of the record. Ugh. Well, I tell you what, if you look at the landscape of movies coming out, whether they're Christmas movies or movies coming out at Christmas, there's so many black people. I'm like, what's, what's going lot. on here? They, black people move, everywhere. And they moved some of them because one night in Miami, which I spoke about a little early, was supposed to drop on Christmas Day too. And they pushed that to 2021 in January. But <laughs> another one that came out Right, I think it came out right before Thanksgiving is Jingle Jangle. And this right. is another one that's great because David Forrest Tal- Whitaker, Felicia yes. Rashad. Yeah. Yes. David Talbert is most is like 
the Tyler Perry counterpart when it comes to the stage plays that feature a lot of black people that can like act and sing. So he mm -hmm. was like the West Coast counterpart <laughs> to Tyler Perry. And he created Jingle Jangle literally as a musical and then COVID happened. It, they were pitching to put it on Broadway as a musical wow. and then COVID happened. So they had to pivot and they pivoted with Netflix and Netflix put it up and it was, it, it has been and continues to be one of their highest streaming films to date. It features, like you said, Forrest Whitaker, Felicia Rashad, um, Anika Noni Rose is in it. It's, it, it's, it's a beautiful story about this man, Jeronicus Jangle, who loves nothing more than, than making toys. And then when he encounters adversity and tragedy in his life, he kind of loses his mojo until his granddaughter shows up at his doorstep and teaches him the meaning of Christmas all over again <laughs> and the meaning of hope and, and what that looks like. And, you know, not for nothing, but I didn't know this. I did not know that Forrest Whitaker trained in opera. So when he started really? singing, I was like, well, okay, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker, well, all right, all right for the voice. Yeah, he studied opera. I had no idea. But Wait a minute. Do you know that I auditioned for that movie? And it was the funniest thing because they wanted me to sing. And, I, and they wanted me to sing a song either from Whitney Houston or... <laughs> Who's the other Jennifer Holiday? I know. I and I, and you too. know, I'm not a singer. I can belt. But girl, you can't belt those for songs. Girl. I auditioned for it too. And I was like, but when I saw the sister that they but hired. But you can sing. <laughs> I, I can carry to them. But that, the sister that, that they, they hired, hired, she could blow. And she, she they could got blow. Exactly, they got exactly who they needed for that part. Yes. She was fabulous. She was the only way I looked at it, Carla, you know, you do those auditions and you give it your heart. And the only thing you can think of is at the end of the day, after they finish laughing, they're going to say that girl gave it her all. <laughs> they might remember me for another audition. <laughs> You're funny. But that was a joke. Uh-uh. <laughs> but the and movie was great. And, the movie and, was um, great. And it was and beautiful to look at. And it so was if you're stunningly me, done, yeah. If you're telling me it's as successful as it is, is that saying that more than just Black folks are watching these movies? Apparently. And, you know, not for nothing, but David and his wife, Lynn, they've been producing partners for over 20 years and they produced this together and they brought it. They brought the whole thing together as a unit um, as an impetus to have something for their son when he grows up and has his children. Isn't that something? I tell you, this is the time of year where you can get away with being corny. Everybody in the house can be super corny. I mean, this is the only time we get to do this in a year. No, but no, yeah, I'm corny all the time. <laughs> but it's nice when people catch up once. <laughs> oh, and then another one that people might want to catch, and this is a great one for kids, is the hot chocolate hot chocolate nutcracker which oh, is also on netflix. debbie allen mm -hmm. it's debbie allen uh, netflix is producing it i think debbie allen directed it i, I want to say she directed it because she directs everything but us usually that hot chocolate nutcracker is done here in los angeles That's right. as a stage music musical is one of dada the debbie allen dance academy is one of their biggest fundraisers of the whole entire year and it's and it wonderful yeah, and it encompasses all of her dancers at, at her dance studio of all levels, of all genres of dance. Everybody gets to get in on it. It's like their big recital, but they've turned it into a Black version of the Nutcracker. Now, what I didn't know when I watched the Hot Chocolate Nutcracker, it's hard to say that fast, Hot, Hot Chocolate, chocolate Nutcracker, nutcracker <laughs> is um, the reason Debbie came up with that is because she has sent her daughter Vivian away to school somewhere. And the Nutcracker was coming up and they wouldn't let Vivian be in the Nutcracker because she was black. Oh, no. Which is interesting because I thought, wow, we so we really evolved because, you know, Misty Copeland got a chance to, to do do it on at the um, in New York for the New right. York Ballet. I'm like, OK, well, we've evolved. Apparently. And there was a little black girl who was the first black lead, I think, of the Nutcracker right. in New York this year. Right. But yeah. Not yeah. so much because just a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, I read an article where a girl in another country, I want to say it was Holland or someplace like that. They told her to lighten up her skin with some makeup so that she could fit in when they did the Nutcracker and she refused. And then they kicked her out of the ballet. What? Right. So when Deb, so Debbie was ahead of the curve because she, she, as a dancer herself, 
Mm. And as a dancer growing up wanting to be in the nutcracker, wanting to be that sugar plum fairy. I want to be this, yeah, but the snowflake or whatever they do. Right. So wanting to do that and she wasn't able to do that. She just created her own version of it for her daughter. Her daughter was her muse and her inspiration for that. That I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but it it encompasses all different genres of dance. It's beautifully done. Mm. And it's done with a little bit of a script attached to it. So Debbie would dress up as this mouse. Her, Carlo, Imperato, and Raven <laughs> Simone would be these three little, be like three little mice. And they would kind of be the comic relief throughout the whole story, kind of <laughs> as the, the comic relief slash narrators for the whole story. It's a lot of fun. But watch yeah. Hot Chocolate Nutcracker on Netflix and you'll get that story and even more information about it and um, see how important it was for someone like, you know, Debbie Allen, somebody who's choreographed the Oscars 10 times, someone who's been an Oscar nominee, who's won a Tony, who's been an Emmy nominee. She's been in the business for a really long time in every single facet of it. And now she's the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy, which is on television. And she directs their episodes and directs Station 19, which is also a Shonda Rhimes show. So if anybody was going to do the Nutcracker and throw some brown cinnamon (laughs) up on it, it was going to be Debbie Allen. (laughs) Wow. You know, when you look at all of these, beautiful movies and you know i'm seeing vivica fox and jack you know just all of us doing the and it just makes you think like what in the world what what was this world thinking to think that only one group one family group could be represented during a holiday that celebrated around the world if you really think about the craziness of segregation and prejudice I don't think people thought about it they didn't even think because they never had a had a they never had comparison They never had to think about it. And what's been really interesting, the other thing about streaming and COVID and being, you know, in the middle of a pandemic is you find out real quick what side of the toast people's butter is on. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And, you know, and it's been really interesting because there have been some people um, amid the the post Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. who they were all, you know, fist in the air talking about BLM when it was happening and now that it's kind of died now that the buzz on it has kind of died down people think in their minds oh it's died down they must have resolved the issue no they haven't resolved the issue and so all them people that had that hashtag on all their social media or their websites or were giving money to all those organizations or had a you know a black lives matter um poster or backdrop or whatever on their social media living there as their their photo um if you're not really good the best way you can back us as black people in this country and worldwide is treat us like human beings it's like which speaks to your point about how did people think there was that christmas was monolithic why did people think it was monolithic why did people only create Christmas stories that involved white people. Black people celebrate Christmas. Latino people celebrate Christmas. Asian people celebrate Christmas. Disabled people celebrate Christmas. Older people celebrate Christmas. It's not just something conducive to the white race. So you're right. Why did people think that? They didn't think, but they got away with it because nobody was saying anything. That's why this year, like you pointed out at the beginning of our conversation, there's more black stuff more black content dropping during the holidays than ever before ever just before. for that reason do you just think it was black reason. lives matter i do yeah i yeah. do i think some of these projects were all had already happened like a lot of the i know for a fact that the disney pixar things it takes them two years to get those projects together mm-hmm. a lot of these films were shot last year um or year before last before any of the black lives matter movement thing went full throttle because it's always been there it didn't just happen in 2020 it's always been there but it got sea legs in 20 it got sea legs in 2020 and became um a household name and people became more aware of it and as a result people became more aware some people became more aware of how they spoke to their black friends how they communicated with their black friends um i had one friend bless her heart, thought that she was doing the right thing, but really was not. Um, I had posted a picture of me in a store where I'd encountered some, a racial, had a racial encounter. 
and I posted about it with tears in my eyes. And this person texted me and said, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Would you mind explaining to me how you think their behavior was racist? And the fact that you had the, and in my mind, I was like, the fact that you had to ask me that lets me know it's not going to matter what I say to you. You're not going to get it. Because mm, mm. in fact, yeah. what happened was I was in the store and this older white gentleman was trying to get to a spot where I was trying to get, we got there at the same time and I, I got there first really. And I stood there and he was yelling at me. He was screaming at me. And then eventually he just got up in my face and clapped in my face and yelled in my face Mm -mm. like this in my Mm -mm. face. And in that moment, what I really wanted to do, I knew I couldn't do because guess what? Had I retaliated based on his wrong busted actions, mm-hmm. guess who would have been going to jail that day? Wouldn't have been you. Him. You would have been going. And look, I would have been going. I know that because I'd have busted his chop real quick. I, and I know that, so I have to watch. You know myself. what I mean? And and, yeah. and, that's how, and I and I was in. So I'm like, okay. So I had. So I found myself in a situation where I literally had to stand there and think, not react, but think. Mm-hmm about what my action was going to be in that moment, because whatever I did, there were going to be consequences and repercussions. From Only me. because you are black. Right. And not for him. And right. so to explain that to somebody, it's really hard to explain that if you're not living in this skin and deal with that every day, when you walk in a store or back in the day when we used to walk in a store and you would see somebody clutching their purse because they, because mm-hmm. you black. Or following no you other around reason. the store. Or following you around the store. They not following around them, them other people. Listen, when I, fir- you. when I first moved here to Los Angeles, I had gone shopping on Larchmont. I'd gone to the Rite Aid and then I saw a beauty supply place. I said, well, let me go see what they have. And the guy followed me around and he goes, what's in your bag? And I said, beauty supplies. He said, well, let me see. Now, I knew what he was let doing. Let me see. Yeah, I knew what he was doing. He was he was basically accusing me of stealing in his store. So I opened the thing up and he says, well, I have the same things here. And I said, why don't you pick it up since you're in the bag and see that the tag is not yours. And then when he put it back, he said, I'm sorry. I said, yes, you are sorry. And I said, let me tell you something. You will never treat me that way again. And I said, when I come in this store, I want your utmost respect. And I want some discounts. <laughs> and he apologized. And he said, for, he said, I'm sorry. He goes, I will beat the prices on all the things you got there. See, but that's the kind of stuff that we're but talking th- but, about. You know, and I, 25 yeah. years later, I still think about that when I walk in his store. But I know that was his reaction to things. And, you know, he's he's a lot better now. But, you know, we all go through it. Oprah's gone through it. Everybody's gone. Yeah, through it. I mean, she went through it. She and if Oprah going through it, because <laughs> oh, you know it's, it's Oprah. Oprah got more money than, than the world. Honey. Oh, they, oh, they, they love Oprah so much. They forget she black sometimes. <laughs> that part, that part, <laughs> that part right there. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I say all of that to say that. You know, I think the film industry is pivoting because they are seeing that, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about it amongst ourselves and govetch about it amongst ourselves. But when it becomes a public conversation, Mm -hmm. a global conversation, and then you have other people from other countries commenting on it, and then you have certain people that are stars that have weight behind their name and their reputation speaking on it, or you have, you know, politicians from other countries speaking out, then, then and only then do people in this country, the ones who are who have the ability to make the change go have this light bulb moment and go, Oh yeah, well maybe we should do that. Like just as a film critic, I've seen some amazing things because as a female film critic, who's also a black woman, right. Mm-hmm. It comes with its own special set of circumstances. For example, <laughs> they just released wonder woman 1984. Right. And mm-hmm. then they had the nerve to complain about all of the negative press they got. Why did they get negative press? Because they invited a whole bunch of fanboys to see it and they dogged it and trashed it out. I wasn't invited to see Wonder Woman 1984. 
Mm. And I think the day and I I think when I was invited, I think it was at the beginning of the month and I couldn't go to that screening. But I said, if you send me the film, I'd be more than happy to review it. And they didn't want it to get out. So what they would do is they would attach it to like a press conference situation where if you attended the press conference, then you could see the film. That oh, kind of so they thing. wanted fans of the film anyway. They could weed you out. They just, you know, they at to their credit, they so I misspoke in the beginning. To their credit, they did invite me to a press conference, but it was on the stip. I could only see the film with the stipulation being that I attended this virtual press conference, which I had a conflict for and conflict for and could not do. So I thought, well, if they invite me to this, surely they'll send me a link at a later date and let me see it. And they never did. Hmm. So there was that. But when they but I say all of that to say that when you are. The word has woman in it, like how are you not going to invite women to see a film about a woman like a wonder woman at that? They did it the first time around. They did it the second time around. And people were like. Oh, are you upset? I'm like, no, because I get invited and get access to so many other things. I'm not going to whine about this one time, but I just find it really interesting. And then what was funny was um, they didn't as to this date. I still haven't seen the film, but they sent me a whole bunch of swag. Wonder Woman swag. Thank you. <laughs> That's called hush money. That's hush money. Right? They sent me a whole <laughs> bag of work. swag. But I was like, OK. But it's really interesting yeah. because there are some titles and some talent that you don't have access to because you are a black female film critic that's not attached to a major outlet. If you're not IMDb or Access or Entertainment Tonight or Good Morning America or anything or People Magazine or any of those outlets. Super the, mainstream. Right. And the thing that they fail to remember is I have a fan base. Mm -hmm. They're loyal like a mug. It may not be large, but I have one. Mm -hmm. And when I tell them folks to go see a movie, they will go see a movie. <laughs> All right, Stacey Abrams of Hollywood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I say that this movie, it wasn't my cup of tea, but you might like, like when, even when I don't like a movie, I don't mm -hmm. say it sucked. I'm like, it wasn't my cup of tea, but you might like it. So, you know, just make, sure. make the decision and go see it yourself. And then if you come back and go, that sucked, then at least, you know, you know, I was trying to, you know, be somewhat, I don't know. Fair. Fair. Thank you. <laughs> fair about my assessment regarding the film, but yeah, yeah. so there's that, but it, it, it it's, it's been a very, interesting time is a very um, challenging time. And what's going to be really interesting is to see what happens when COVID is finally on when we're on the other side of COVID. Because yeah, really. right now, everybody's been rocking and rolling and operating from home and streaming and doing these virtual things. And so and like myself, I've had access to talent I would never have access to mm -hmm. had this not been a pandemic. You know, I interviewed Russell Crowe. I interviewed Hillary Swank. I interviewed Regina King. I no, you interviewed the marvelous Ms. Maisel. I did. <laughs> oh my God. I love that interview. I, I love her. her. I'm like, I, oh my God. I yeah. love her. I would, I think I probably would have been able to get access to her though, because she's more of a T she's considered more of a TV, TV star than a film star. She's so good. But she's awesome. And she's an she, amazing actor. She was really great. But um, but I say that to say that I I have received access to people that I wouldn't normally get access to, you know, and mostly because I've I have proved I worked really hard to prove that I try to be fair. I try not to ask tab tabloidish TMZ ish. Mm -hmm type of questions when I talk to people because what they do in their personal life is really none of my business. I just want to talk to you about the movie. <laughs> right. You know, I don't really care what's happening over there. That's right. none of my business. But sometimes if I find that I'm interviewing somebody where they might be still hung up on something that happened during the interview before me or a couple of hours ago. And they're like, you can see energy wise, they're in a certain place. Sometimes I will ask something just to kind of lighten it up because right. I want us to have fun. I want to, I, I don't want that four or five minutes that I speak to them to be torture. I want it to be five minutes that goes by really quickly where they're like, Oh, that was fun. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do that again. <laughs> right. So what movie has blown you away? Is there, are there a couple that have just blown you away that are must sees this season? 
Yes, there's a movie that I absolutely adore. It's called Sylvie's Love. It drops on the 23rd and it is directed and written by Eugene Ash, who at, who incidentally, I know I just said all this about people's personal life, but this is going to be interesting. So Eugene <laughs> Ash is a descendant of Arthur Ash, the tennis player, oh, yeah. and Gregory Peck, the Academy Award winning actor. So that's what his lineage is. He's a descendant of both of them? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. And he's a native New Yorker. Interesting. He's a native New Yorker and growing up in New York in a time where it was just fly to be in New York, where the women dressed to the nines and, you know, they were looking like Nancy Wilson on a daily basis. So like that would must have been the 80s. No, this was like (laughs) this was the time frame that he was talking to me about, it was like 50s, 60s, like around in there. And people were, you know, they were New wearing Yorkers gloves dress. and they would, you know, you know, pearls. People, went to, people went pearls, people went to the theater dressed up, people went to the airport dressed up. Like unless right. they were doing laundry, the kids were dressed up. The men had on suits, they had on ties, they had on their hats. You did it not was, wear jeans in first class. No, it was a situation. <laughs> it was a situation. But Eugene wrote and directed this mu- musical. He wrote and directed this movie, which is going to be streaming on Amazon Prime Video. So if you have a Amazon account or a Prime Video account, you'll be able to stream it without any additional cost. It's a love story? It's a love story. It stars Tessa Thompson and Namdi Asamuga, who is Kerry Washington's beau. Um, and I hear, I've heard about that movie. I hear it's wonderful. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully written. It's like an unconditional love story. Like, what would you, what would, what is the ultimate sacrifice you would make for someone that you love? And that, and we see that played out with Sylvie. We also see with Sylvie, played by Tessa Thompson, that she is a female Black television producer during a time where that didn't really exist. And if it did, we didn't know about it. <laughs> so you know what I mean? So right. and her husband is a jazz musician. So you have these two people mm-hmm. coming from these two different worlds trying to make it work. And and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But when I tell you it's like a throwback to those old Doris Day Rock Hudson movies without all the humor. Yeah. Like it's that. And when I talked to Eugene about it, and I've spoken to him a couple of times about this film, he said that his his uh inspiration for the film were those old Dick Van Dyke shows the way mm-hmm. that Tessa is dressed, you know, the pedal pusher pants and all of that. He said that uh, Mary Tyler Moore wore those on the Mary Tyler Moore show and he wanted Sylvie to be a television producer. So he wanted her to dress like what he saw on the Dick Van Dyke show. So that was an inspiration. Of course, that whole Doris Day genre of films was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. But he also said that Nancy Wilson was an inspiration in terms of the musical score and the music and the- God, I can't wait to see this. This is crazy. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, and the type of jazz and music that Robert played by Namdi Asamuga plays. Um, they all of these things were inspirations for this film and it's just it's a really well crafted beautiful love story that's gorgeous to look at the costuming is just perfection on on film it really is and it's perfection on film for a variety of reasons but for me mostly because it's a film showing black people in a genre during an era that we normally don't see us on screen. I was there for all of that. It was beautiful. Oh, I can't wait. It this is beautiful. an exciting time. I mean, you know, if you really think about it, it is a phenomenal time. I mean, to see ourselves in so many hues and so many uh, ranges of our own emotional experiences and, and the rest. It, and, to, and to know that we're not the only ones watching us, that we are attracting, our stories are attracting hopefully um, humankind, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just been such a strange year from such, I can't breathe to what a beautiful movie, you know, it's just been a strange year, but it's nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see this. Well, thank you, Carla. This is, I mean, I know there are 50 million other movies out there. This gives us a good peak and a good start and especially taking the angle that we haven't talked about, um, I don't think in uh, any other year, 
is how many black movies are out there. And maybe that's because of the Black Lives Matter. Maybe that's because people are waking up, who knows? But I know as an artist and as a black woman artist, it is a delightful thing to see, a delightful thing to see. And I just wanna get give two snaps and a swizzle to Amazon Prime and Netflix. That's right. Because Netflix and Amazon Prime this year in particular have produced a lot of content that is, African-American centric. Mm -hmm. Amazon has all uh, the films that I mentioned previously in this conversation. They also have Small Acts, which is a five series film directed by Steve McQueen, who was the the director and writer of 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. Um, He won the Oscar for that. And now he's taken the West Indian experience in the UK and put that on screen. And the thing that is the most inspirational about all of it is that I think sometimes as Americans, we forget that the struggle that we have here as Black people is not unique unto us. Mm-hmm. It happens to Black people in other countries. It just looks and feels a little, little bit different, but similar all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he takes that West, Indi- West Indian experience and he deals with it from an education point of view, from a harassment point of view, from a um, Black cop, Black cop, white cop, point of view. He deals with it from a house party point of view, like the different angles and points of views that mm-hmm. Steve McQueen uses to make this point and all of the actors in it, with the exception of two that have John Boyega and Letitia Wright from Black Panther in it. Most of those actors are unknown actors. I've never seen them before, but I'm sure they're very popular in the UK and on the other side of the pond somewhere. But small acts is no joke. And small acts is no joke because Amazon allowed Steve McQueen to just, you know, put it out there and show it. Netflix has been very supportive. They have the hot chocolate nutcracker. They have a bunch of holiday movies like Operation, um, I think it's Operation Holiday, uh, Operation Pan. It, is it Operation Panty Drop? Something. It's Operation Something. And then they have <laughs> holidays, and they have they have a whole bunch of brand new. Um, holiday movies that are just streaming on Netflix. The Hallmark Channel um, has contracted to, uh, I'm not sure which one of the, the Housley sisters, not Housley, which one of the um, Maori sisters is oh, yeah. the Hallmark queen, but they have contracted <laughs> her to do a plethora of Hallmark movies. They I've saw a Hallmark movie that starred um, uh, Tammy Townsend, and I'm sure it was done, a, not Hallmark, BET a couple of years ago. So they're pulling out all this content because we're at home and we're not distracted by other things, but I'm starting to see movies that I've never seen before. Well, listen, watch, my, I've got three right now. Christmas <laughs> Mail, Second Chance Christmas, and even Curious George, A Very Monkey Christmas. Now those, I tell you, Second class. Second Chance Christmas and Christmas Mail. I know it's 12 years old. I don't think, I think I was like the only black person in a Christmas movie back then. <laughs> but but they're still running it. They're old, but they're pulling them off the shelf. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing because it gives people at home, people that aren't us, to get a slice of life from our perspective. Yeah. And that's always a beautiful thing that they can see that. Well, I tell you what, I've been around the block a few times, but it's nice to come back around and see these types of changes, especially during the holiday time when we're supposed to be full of cheer. Carla, thank you so much. Tell us where we can follow you because you do some of the best interviews and I love following you because I learned so much. You know, a lot of us watch movies, but to get all that juicy, good stuff behind the scenes is always exciting. The Curvy Critic, how can we find you? You can find me across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic. My podcast, The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata streams every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. It is on YouTube. If you type in The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata, it'll pop right on up. Yeah, and you will learn so much and have a good time while you're doing it. My darling, thank you so much. I tried to give the red curtain here because of your Broadway background. People (laughs) think you're just a critic. Think you're just a critic. This woman has been one of the biggest stars on Broadway you've ever seen. I mean, some of the biggest shows that that you can think of. uh, Smokey Joe's Cafe is my favorite. That's always my favorite. Uh, But um, you've done so much. And and we can catch you also on Superstore. What are you like in your sixth season over there? Yes, we're in in season six of Superstore. So um, they have 
shut our episodes down for 2020 because of the holidays and everything but they're gonna pick back up i think the first episode airs i want to say like january 4th or 11th or somewhere around in there they'll start picking it up because um superstore has been canceled so there will not be a season seven but while we're still on season six there's five more episodes that will air after the first of the year and they just spun the show off with two of the other characters that play Cheyenne and Bo. So we'll see if Superstore has more life with them. Girl, six years is ad infinitum in TV. That's a long time. It is. I haven't (laughs) been there the whole six. I've been there for five. I was very Claim the six. Claim the six. It's your show. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. So would my bank account. Trust me. (laughs) Trust and believe. I know. (laughs) Carla Renata, thank you so much. And happy holidays to you. And please, honey, stay safe because you are a very special lady. And we don't want anything to happen to you. Thank you. you And let me just say while I have you here. For you to say that I'm a really good interviewer as the OG interviewer between the two of us, I I take that and I accept that and I receive it. So thank you. Yeah, well, you're so smart and you listen, you know your game. And so the rest is just delightful to watch you pull it out. And it's a great, you know how to tell a good story and you got, got a bunch of good storytellers right there next to you. So the only magic can happen. Only magic. Okay. Thank you, Ro. Thecurvycritic.com. Check her out. You will you will find sheer delight. The curvy film That's, critic. The curvy, curvy, film curvy film critic. Film critic. Okay. Cur- <laughs> right. just, just not any critic. A film critic. Isn't that what we're talking about, Rolanda? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Carla. Thanks so much for listening to Rolanda On Demand. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I hope you will subscribe to my podcast. Leave a rating and review. I would love that as well. And don't forget to follow me every day of the week on all forms of social media at Rolanda Watts. Just that simple. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Destiny Lingers, my romance suspense novel. Oh, it's going to be a juicy read for the holidays. You're going to love that in front of the fire. And if you want me to send a very special message to somebody that you love, check me out on Cameo, cameo.com slash Rolanda Watts, and I can make a special cameo, a special message to someone that you love that you're far away from. I love doing that kind of stuff. It's corny, but we all love to send love. And let me help you get the message out. You know I'll keep it entertaining. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for listening. And those of you who are interested in voice acting, don't forget I offer a voice acting masterclass that kicks up at the start of the year. And I would love to talk with you about it. Come on and join me. Go to Rolanda.com. Check me out. Save your seat for my free reinvention retreats. And um, just have a good time over there at Rolanda.com and find out what's happening. Thank you so much again for listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Please be safe, wear your mask, and try to stay home. And whatever you do, wherever you are, do something good. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. 
More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.